Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Jordan Nathan, is the CEO and founder of Caraway, a non-toxic ceramic brand that makes thoughtfully designed cookware. And Jordan founded Caraway after encountering the harmful effects of Teflon firsthand, which we'll break down later in the interview. And Jordan has experience in homeware for his time as CEO of kitchenware company Remry. Did I say that right? Remy. Remy. (laughs) Where he was promoted to CEO after just a year and grew into a multi-million dollar brand that shipped to more than 1 million homes. And that stint landed him on the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2018 and set the stage for him to successfully launch Caraway in 2019. And let's hear more from the man himself on why you've been cooking wrong without even knowing it. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. Excited to chat today. Absolutely. And and it's interesting. It's kind of funny. So my wife says, she thinks, Jordan, the only reason I do this show is to get free shit. That's what she said. She goes, you only do this. You've gotten Wagyu beef. You get frying pans. You get foot cream. I go, no, no, no. That's just a, a nice to have so I could talk about the products. And as I told you before, you were so kind enough. You sent me one of the frying pans and I wanted to use it. And wifey was like, uh, why don't we wait until we finish the kitchen renovation? I'm like, well, at least I want to throw some eggs on it and give it a shot so I could actually talk about it. So hopefully by the time the show airs in a few weeks, I'll be able to use it and I'll and I'll do like a, a, a an, an addendum to it. But let, let's jump in here. So your story is really interesting. And, you know, I want to talk about the early days. Um, the first company that you launched after graduating was, was Wanu, correct? Yes, correct. Now... Let's go to the school days for a moment there. Did you always know, like when you were when you were studying, even when you were younger, even back in, in like high school, you're like, I, I got this entrepreneurial bug. I, I want to start businesses. I want to sell stuff. I want to, you know, put myself out there. What was that mindset like early on? Yeah, I, I think uh, growing up, I always knew I wanted to start something. Um, I didn't know what, what it was or, or, you know, what I was looking to build, but it was something that was always interesting. Uh, my, my dad owns a small business growing growing up and still today uh, in the kind of outerwear industry as a, as a buying office and, you know, grew up in a household where my dad had his own company. My mom's a kind of independent controller that helps out at a number of small businesses uh, where we grew up. And so, you know, kind of grew up in that household of parents who, you know, kind of had their own own schedules and, and got to really dictate that. And so um, really kind of loved seeing that growing up. And I think heading into college, went to Colby College up in Maine, liberal arts school, um, mm-hmm. actually created my own major called uh, uh, consumer psychology. So focusing on kind of why people buy certain things um, and 
I think in my early days at college interviewing for internships, went the normal route of a typical Colby student, which was going into consulting or finance interviews. Right. And um, they just felt very formal. I didn't like wearing a suit. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do something that was fun and exciting and fast paced and um, quickly identified it wasn't a fit for me and just started taking a real interest in, in tech and what was going on in Silicon Valley. And, um, you know, you were, uh, into, kinda, you were tapped in. I was tapped in and basically fishing for my first idea, I think my freshman or sophomore year of college. So it was, you know, constantly just writing down everything I could think of, think of to, to create. Well, it's interesting. Let's talk about the consumer psychology um, piece of it. I mean, that goes back to a character trait that I, I, I did a LinkedIn post this morning about being curious, being inquisitive. And I think that's an incredible trait of all entrepreneurs trying to find out the why, the how, the problem solving. I mean, would you say that's one of your top kind of attributes and skills? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think, uh, especially at Colby, there's a lot of focus on uh, problem solving, creative thinking, uh, you know, developing an argument. And, you know, I think, especially in the psychology field, studies and, and data is so important to understanding human characteristics. And so, you know, I think, you know, fast forwarding today, or, or just in general, you know, business, um, really diving in as deep as you can to, to find out, you know, who your consumers are, and what makes them tick, um, is incredibly important, and was definitely a skill set that I picked up, you know, in my oh, time in school. Yeah, let's, let's put a pin in that. And we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around once we get into your current endeavor. But let's talk about Wanu for a moment here. Um, why'd you why'd you decide to, to kind of jump into that versus I mean, you kind of alluded to it before. But what was Wanu? What was that first big idea that first big, you know, let's go let's go build this thing? Yeah, so um, about five, I guess, eight years now, um, you know, there was this big boom of e commerce marketplaces. Um, you had the Gilts of the World, the Rue La La's. Yep. Um, Amazon was growing fast, and a lot of different shopping tools and platforms being launched at that time as online shopping was, was picking up um, in demand. And um, felt like there were all these really cool tools that did a lot of great functions by themselves, but wanted to really roll those into one platform where customers could track prices, they could create wish lists of products, um, instead of having to open up 20 different browsers through a shopping experience. And, you know, felt like Amazon served a purpose of products that you need, um, more right. kind of, you know, commodities and, and such. And there wasn't anything for these really cool young brands that we now call direct to consumer today. Um, that existed in one marketplace. And so wanted to create this full experience um, that enabled you to shop from all these brands within, you know, one platform. Interesting. So walk us through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why, why did it eventually, you know, fail? Yeah, so started it in college, actually wrote like a 150-page business plan as my thesis on it. Um, right, right out of school, I actually moved home with my parents, started... Uh, uh, working on the business. It was just me at the time, eventually recruited a few business partners to join. Um, but yeah, it, it was, a, I, I think, a really great experience in learning how to build a, a tech product, um, understanding, you know, the project management around it. Um, and at the time, you know, Shopify was still pretty early, um, along with other e-com platforms. So um, it was an interesting world to navigate compared to 
I think what building that today would look like. Um, and then a lot of my time was spent on basically selling. So going to um, thousands and thousands of brands to join the platform. Um, right. you and um, I went to fashion trade shows and trade shows all around the country going booth to booth, basically pitching this product that didn't exist. Um, and so p- picked up a lot of like, you know, biz dev skills there. And then, um, you know, eventually went into the fundraising process. I was right out of school. I had no experience and um, also wasn't in kind of the New York City world at that time, living at home there, with yeah. my parents. And, um, you know, it was a, a tough fundraise and an unsuccessful one, unfortunately. And, 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 and that happens. And what do they say? You're either going to learn or earn. And if you, you're not going to do either of those, you know, that's, that's a big miss. But, you know, what was that, what was that big, let me put it this way. What mistake did you make at the time that now maybe if you had a brand new founder kind of out of college, what advice would you give him or her based on your experience in those early days? Yeah, I, I think, um, we, we were really trying to build a full product before we launched it. Um, and you know, I think, uh, I'm a big believer in making sure you go out with the, the best product that you can, but I think in times where, uh, you're building a product, you have no data, you have no capital. Um, you know, I would have loved to have launched kind of that MVP to just maybe on like our core, um, core value prop or feature just to get some data and, and get, you know, investors through the door who have conviction off of the, <laughs> you know, that early feature that we were building. So, you know, that was something we, we didn't do. Instead, we went, we got a lot of brands, we built a big email list with with a lot of interested consumers, but there's no product behind it. Yeah, that's that's a big one there. And what was your mindset like? I mean, after, you know, it went under, were you like, all right, what's next? Or, and correct me if I'm wrong, you went to, you got a, a full-time job working for someone else, right? Yeah, so spent, um, I think, a year, year and a half out of school. Um, and, you know, I think uh, felt like I would keep Wanu on the side and keep building it, but ended up getting a job at a company called Mohawk Group, um, who is a kind of Amazon brand aggregator um, and joined early as their roughly 10th employee um, and started on their brand Remy, which was in the kitchen space. Interesting. And that was really your first taste, pun intended, you know, into, into that world, right? And what, did, you ever, did you have a passion for cooking? Were you, were you into it at all or you just kind of fell into it? No, um, it was kind of the one brand they didn't have a brand manager for. And uh, <laughs> I, I think there was a it's beauty brand. Works, right? and, yeah. And that, that was more the space I had come from. And uh, actually, I think I was disappointed when I was first put on the kitchen brand. But I think... Um, you know, initially being put into it, I, I ended up loving it really quickly just because I'm someone who really love well-designed products and very quickly realized this is a space that has absolutely, uh, no products that are designed well. There's no color. There's a lot of poor quality items. And I got excited at the opportunity of, of like the two or 300 products that exist in the kitchen that could all, it's a huge um, range. Exactly. I'll kind of uh, focus on more of a design angle. Yeah, I mean, it's an it's an interesting world, the kitchen space, right? Like you have your super high end stuff that's just astronomical. I mean, some, you look at some of the cookware, you look at, you know, the knives and everything. And some of that most of that's like not attainable to everyday folks. So the ability to and a mission to go out and create something that's affordable, attainable and quality. I mean, that's that's doing good. 
right? That's doing good for the world, right? If you want to, if you want to spin out like that. But I want to ask you, how the heck did you get to promote it to CEO in just a year? How did, what was that <laughs> path like? What the heck did you do to get that man? Uh, worked worked pretty hard, but um, yeah, I was fortunate to be in a role where um, I got to really do everything within you know an e-commerce business. I um, actually, when I first started at the company, there, there weren't too many products under Vremi. So my first step was I had to teach myself how to source products from Asia. Um, and I learned product development, actually went overseas um, a number of times to meet with factories. Um, and then once we got the products here, had to learn how to sell them, run Facebook ads, mm-hmm. Google. Uh, we sold on Amazon. And then, like every company, either ordered too much or ordered too little. So um, learned that one. full inventory cycle and cash flow process. And um you know had that unique position to kind of build and grow the brand and you know as mohawk started expanding they you know needed leaders under each brand and um you know was lucky to to be in that position to be the one who kind of uh grew it from where it was to where it is today and what was one of those first big early mistakes that you made like looking back on it now you're like you know what you say jordan thank (laughs) god i made that mistake because I look back on it now and A, I know I'm not going to make it again, but it really taught me something. Maybe yeah. Something you assumed, maybe like, like you're in a leadership role, something you assumed. Yeah. I mean, I would say my biggest mistake was uh, I actually launched about 200 products in my first two years there, which, which is crazy to think about. Um, and I think as a, a young entrepreneur, I got really excited about doing a lot, launching a lot of products, launching products is always fun. And, um, what ended up happening was it was just like way too much to manage. Uh, there was Overwhelmed. a lot of different things going on, generating smaller amounts of money. And, um, you know, I think coming out of that experience really valued, uh, it, it, it's so hard to do like one thing right and, and launch one product successfully that, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of prioritize and narrow your focus on the bigger opportunities versus, going after so many little things that end up distracting you from what the core kind of goal or mission is. So how do you do, how do you manage that tactically day to day now? Like how do you, how do you stay focused? What's your, what are your, some of your tricks and, and, and tactics? Yeah, I think always questioning, you know, what are we doing as a company? Why do we exist? And, and what uh, activities are we doing internally that, that, you know, uh, apply to that mission? Um, and then also, understanding each opportunity, you know, how much revenue are going to, they going to bring in, how much profit, is it a short-term impact? Is it a long-term impact? Um, you always need a good balance of short and long-term, but, um, you know, I think prioritizing based off of, um, overall impact across revenue and, and, um, achieving, you know, the mission that you're going for. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each and every week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in their rotation. So there's a big chance you're not only listening to the podcast, and that's totally cool. In fact, I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list that's one of my personal favorites and is actually an inspiration to me as a host. The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives deep into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. His episodes on travels to North Korea are not to miss in some of my personal favorites. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. 
Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode. And if you like the podcast, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger Show, point blank. Jordan is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversations, a few laughs, and actionable advice that can directly improve your life. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I, and as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. So let's get into the Caraway story here. And there's an infamous story of you experiencing the dangers of toxic materials firsthand, right? So, all right, you tell the story about leaving the pan on (laughs) when you had a call. It's much better coming from you than me reading the notes and and explaining your story, because we have the guest here. Let's, Let's go to the source. Yeah. Perfect. Tip for any yeah, podcaster, so, uh, just let them go to let let the guest tell their story. Yeah, so uh a couple years back was uh cooking like any other night and um I think my dad had called and I had just turned on the flame with my Teflon fry pan. Um call went for like 45 minutes. I forgot it was on my burner. Um my wife walked in and she's like, "Huh, it smells funny." And then she looks in the kitchen and there's this like smoking pan um with all these fumes and and we had a really small new york like 300 square foot apartment so it was really fumey everything was in there there. um and we turned it off quickly we both felt really sick Um, we actually called the poison control hotline and they let us know that we were likely exposed to teflon poisoning and i actually remember going to sleep that night rolling over to my wife saying what if we don't wake up tomorrow morning? <laughs> like it, it, it is, we don't feel good. There's a lot of fumes in here and uh, it's a small the apartment. So open. there's nowhere for them to go. Now that's the, the impetus, right? Was that like, was, when was that spark? You're like, holy shit. Like I have experience in the category. I know what I'm doing here. There's a real opportunity. Was that instantaneously or was that after inhaling a significant amount of fumes that inspired you? Yeah, well, it wasn't instantaneous. I, I think, you know, just in my nature, I'm always yeah, thinking about what I want to build next. And what was, I think, in my time at Mohawk, always thinking about, um, you know, I think I fell in love with actual consumer products and what was going on in direct to consumer and was always ideating on what I wanted to build next. And I actually think initially, I didn't want to do the kitchen because I just had done it and knew it well. But, you know, the more and more I kind of experienced seeing really terrible manufacturing processes going Mm -hmm. overseas and selling basically a lot of plastic on Amazon. Um, I just felt really compelled that no one was going after this opportunity. And I had such a unique skill set and, and relationships uh, within the space. And if it wasn't going to be me, then it was going to be someone else going after this opportunity and, uh, you know, wanted to kind of branch out, take, what I had learned and really apply it to a much higher end, higher design, eco-friendly focus brand. Interesting too. Let's talk about the tech behind it, right? Like ceramic, um, from a cost perspective, it's, it's more correct. Um, more labor intensive, but what was that? All right, let's, we're building this brand. We're building the product. We want to make something that is durable, safe and attainable at a, at a, at a price standpoint. Like how do you, how do you even get into that? How do you, where do you even start? Yeah, it, it was extremely difficult to identify um, the right way to approach kind of all those criteria. Um, sometimes, you know, providing a affordable cost does not come with the safest or best materials. Um, so uh, very early on, I had 
really just spent a lot of time in R&D understanding what was out there. Was there anything new on the market? Um, you know, in terms of safety, stainless steel, cast iron and ceramic are pain in the ass what, to clean those things, man. What had existed. And, um, you know, I think the important thing for the brand was uh, creating something that was so easy to use. And uh, myself, I'm, I'm not a professional cook. I don't aspire to be one. I mess up a lot in the kitchen and um, always felt very overwhelmed using a stainless steel or cast iron pan. Doesn't mean I won't own one or two for specific meals, but um, that nonstick performance was really important. And um, for quickly we use, identified, yeah. yep, quickly we identified that uh, ceramic had existed for a dec- decade, but most of it was on low-end products. Actually, a lot of it was mixed with Teflon. There was a lot of greenwashing and, and fake claims around ceramic. Um, and we felt there was a unique opportunity to kind of take this material, uh, formulate it to be high-end and high-quality and you know, pair it with a, a brand that's very design driven and uh, easy to use. That's, that, I mean, that's a big one there. So let's get into the early, the the early days. I mean, it's pretty recent and, and talk about fundraising and investing. Correct me if I'm wrong, you have a pretty broad investor network, right? You've taken a lot of smaller investments over a Correct. few large investments. You know, what's, what's the, what was the approach there? And is this something that every founder should think about or is it specific based on your business that you were building that you went this route? Yeah, I, th- I think every company and founder uh, should pursue, I think what they, they feel is right for their company and best. Um, you know, our fundraising process was tremendously difficult. Um, the first fundraise I did took about 10 months. Um, it was just me. I had no co-founders, no employees. Um, I had no personal capital myself to put into the company Um, I had a deck with like Google images of cookware, you know, I didn't have anything designed. I I created the branding. I'm not a designer. Um, And there were six other cookware brands who had actually launched already in market. And we were like two years behind and, um, you know, we had no data to show. And so um, really spent about 10 months, probably doing five to eight conversations every single day with investors and, we ended up with, I think, 60 investors in our first round. Shortly after, did a second round, got another 40 or 50 investors. And, um, wow. you know, I think we're very fortunate that we have such a big group because there's um, so much experience within, you know, that, that group of 100. We have a lot of great angel investors who've built their own businesses. There's no introduction we can't get because we, we have, you know, so many involved. And it's a huge advantage, right? It, You're spreading been, it out. Exactly. It's become a, a great advantage for us. But any downfalls? Um, just, I mean, I, I think it just takes longer to, to fundraise. It's, it's a painful yeah. process. It's a, a lot to manage. Um, you know, definitely easier getting one or two checks and calling it a day. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I think for us, we've, you know, turned it into an advantage. And um, I think for a lot of, consumer founders today, um, you know, I think going the VC route and taking those bigger checks can sometimes be challenging because you're pressured for certain multiples or exits or to get to that next valuation. And, um, you know, consumer businesses are ones you can run profitably. You can really leverage cash flow for growth. And I actually don't think we'd be where we are today if we had that type of kind of pressure or like need to get to that next round within a certain time frame. Yeah, I love I love that perspective. So let's talk about building the teams up. I mean, you're coming from the category. Who were some of those first key hires 
that you made that, I mean, listen, you had that win behind your sale, man, going into this tremendous. What were some of those key first hires that you used to build the foundation and grow the team? Yeah, so we, we started off really small. Um, I think by launch day, there were just four of us, myself included. Um, and we went with a really, I think, versatile generalist type team. Um, so I put my time a lot into the product side and, and building the brand and kind of, uh, I guess, finance. Um, first hire was uh, head of operations who actually worked with me at Mohawk Group. So had that familiarity there and, you know, uh, made sure that we were great on the logistics side. And then two other individuals who ran both brand and growth marketing. And actually those three individuals today lead our operations, growth and brand teams and we're amazing Welcome. first hires. Um, and, you know, it's been such an amazing experience seeing all those three individuals grow, but also, you know, I think we, we were very well covered across most areas of the business by launch time. So let's dig into marketing a little bit. And I've experienced it firsthand. I am bombarded in a good way on Instagram. I get all the Caraway ads. It's literally coming up in my in my feed <laughs> all the time. Um, you know, I've, the name's been out there. But what is what was the marketing approach? I mean, how do you how do you get it in front of consumers? And who's your target market? Yeah, so a lot of our... Um, let's talk about the ambassador uh, program. Yep, yep. Uh, so target market, um, you know, we're looking for individuals who are kind of at that 30 plus stage where they're getting married, moving in with a significant other, buying a home, maybe having kids and wanting non-toxic products to, to eat or cook off of. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we let the product do a lot of the, the, the talking, I think, to the consumer. We, we put a lot of emphasis into our design and colors and, and storage that come with the product. And you can almost think of the design and product as the marketing vehicle. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, surrounding that, um, you know, why people buy from Caraway, obviously the product looks great, but um, we like to do a lot of education around what they're actually cooking off of. So, you know, most of our website and our education is around Teflon and ceramic and, um, you know, making sure you know what <clears throat> you're, you're actually buying and cooking off of. So, um, you know, we're very focused on kind of the design and on toxic angle. And then, um, you know, like a lot of other brands run a lot of ads on Facebook and Google. Um, and as you mentioned, we have a really unique ambassador program. I believe it's about 2000 individuals today across Instagram, YouTube, et cetera. Um, you know, influencers who really believe in clean cooking, um, design, and, you know, I think are the best advocates for the products. 100% there. And you mentioned that you want to make much more than pots and pans. What other products are you, are you thinking about without giving De away the farm? Sure. <laughs> um, definitely can't share our, our product roadmap, but, you know, recently we launched bakeware, which is a, a super exciting category. A lot of, you know, nasty materials used within bakeware, really everything at the low end. And as we look towards the future, um, we really see this opportunity where the kitchen has so many products within it. Um, and there's this, I think, white space of um, everyone having mismatch uh, gadgets to knives, oh, yeah. to uh, appliances, to Tupperware, and um, you know this really unique opportunity to create an ecosystem of products oh, that work together and um, you know surround you in your day to day uh, life in the kitchen. What what brands in the space inspire you? What are some of those brands that you look up to and like? Damn, these guys did it well. Uh, yeah, I, I think in the cookware space, um, we, we love La Creuset. Um, they're very design driven. I, I think very similar Beautiful. to us. Um, 
they launched, you know, decades ago when all products were were black and ugly and they took really that design driven, high quality approach. And I see, you know, our, our cookware set as a very similar parallel. But we also look at companies like Dyson or Apple or GE, where I think they've all entered the market with um, beautiful products, high quality, um, sometimes at higher price points than there's ever been in those markets. But the the products are so good and they're designed to work together and look look the same. Um, we really love that kind of like feeling of, of cohesiveness, um, you know, amongst those those brands. Good stuff, man. And you reported, correct me if I'm wrong, 300% year over year growth. I mean, that is, correct. that's impressive, man. What do you attribute that success to? And, you know, how do you plan to maintain that? Absolutely. Um, obviously, we, we've got an incredible team. So, um, you know, we're, we're 35 today. And, um, you know, I think we've we've been fortunate to find the right team members to, to grow where we are today. Um, I think we're really tackling... Um, you know, a, a issue that's, that's, uh, you know, no one's really spoken out about before when it comes to Teflon. Um, and, you know, we're mostly online today, but also have started going very wide and omni-channel. So, you know, you'll find us on crateandbarrel.com, target.com, bedbath.com. Awesome. And Good stuff. as a business, like to, you know, <clears throat> make sure that the products are available wherever you'd like to purchase. That's awesome. So let's talk about uh, team growth. And I want to dig in for a moment or two about how you interview. And I'm going to assume at this point, 35 folks strong, that when someone gets to you at the interview stage, that they're going to have the skills and the experience. But how do you, what are some of like your go-to questions to see if they're going to be a great addition to the team? Yeah, I, I would what's say your, I'm actually What's your go-to, pretty, Jordan? Yeah, um, I'd say I'm a pretty simple interviewer. I do like asking individuals um, like, if you could write your own job description, what does it look like? Because it, it helps me understand what they want to do. And then I kind Good of, question. I usually follow up with, um, in your next role, like what areas are you excited to grow into? And, you know, individuals who are like, oh, I want to do this, 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 and this, and I've never done this before. Um, we really like people who are uh, excited to learn. They, they like working in an autonomous structure um, and definitely uh, look for individuals who have done some type of entrepreneurial pursuit in their past. Um, and then, you know, I definitely love asking questions around like, what's the hardest, uh, uh, career decision or challenge you've run into and how have you handled that? And, and that's always interesting that's to kind of hear how they've overcome something that's, you know, really challenging. And what are red flags for you during the interview? Yeah. Um, uh, I think individuals who want to stay status quo and, and are not looking to necessarily grow, um, individuals who may need more kind of managerial support. Um, we have a very, uh, I think, entrepreneurial organization where uh, we try to limit meetings. Everyone's kind of given their roles and given it to own and run with it. So um, we like folks who kind of, you know, uh, have that spirit in them. Um and individuals who, um, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, aren't necessarily passionate about cooking or making the world a better place. You know, we want, want people who really believe in the mission care. of what we're doing. Yeah. You want them to care. So looking back, you've, you've been doing this for a couple of years now, uh, with Caraway. Um, anything that you would change, anything you would do differently in the first couple of years, knowing what you know now? 
To be honest, I, I would do a lot the same. I think, you know, even in the moments where we've made mistakes or we failed, there are learning experiences that have led to kind of where we are today. You know, if, if there's one thing I could nitpick, it may be, um, you know, when you're starting, similar to what I mentioned with Remy, when you're starting a company, there's so many exciting opportunities and um, you got to just make sure you prioritize. I think we've done a great job doing that with Caraway, but probably some moments where we went after things that we shouldn't have maybe it was on a marketing side or like a, a campaign or whatever um and and really narrowing down and focusing on what is working um early on i love it it's a, it's such a great story um so let's let's bring it home here um jordan what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day it could be a mantra it could be something you repeat in the morning something that just keeps you you know locked in definitely yeah, I think when you're starting your own company, it's very hard to escape uh, what you're building. It's it's always surrounding you. It's you're always thinking about it, and um, I know uh, finding time away from from work is just tremendously important. Turning turning off your phone and computer at night, um, you know, finding time to travel or, or finding hobbies, I think, is tremendously important. And you know, it's it's uh, you know finding those moments and being in those moments where you're away from work is, is tremendously important. So have been definitely encouraged on that from my wife and advisors. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that's really, you know, gets me away and, and, you know, gives me clarity each day. Mm. Yeah. That, that's a big one. What would you say your superpower is, right? Like what do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are and the ability to, to build and scale? I would say resourcefulness. Um, I, I feel like there's no task or project or something I, I can't figure out or learn. And, um, you know, uh, just reaching out to anyone and, and anyone who, who you might find uh, to help you with something. Um, I feel like I actually learned from some of those early internships of just doing a lot of reach outs and, and biz dev. And mm-hmm. especially in a startup, you're you're always needing to figure out something you don't know how to do. And um, you know, I feel like that'd be scrappy. Feel like anything that that comes my way or team's way, we're able to to really find a solution to it. Good stuff, good stuff. And last but not least, right? You look you look back at your your career and your life, and you've always had this compass, right? Something to really look to to pull you forward. Jordan Nathan, what do you look to to show gratitude? What do you look to to stay focused? Jordan Nathan, what is your north star in life? Yeah, I'd say overall, want to make the planet a uh, healthier place to live in. And, um, you know, I think manufacturing as a whole is is not great. But, you know, I think uh, we have a responsibility to do it in a way that's uh, eco-friendly and and responsible. And, uh, you know, I hope to really make an impact on, on people's health. Good stuff. Good stuff. Jordan, I certainly appreciate you joining me today. Hang with me for one moment here. I want everyone to go check out carawayhome.com. But if they want to connect with you directly, what's the best way? Uh, reach out to us uh, through our website, Instagram, um, and uh, excited to connect. Awesome. Good stuff. Jordan, hang with me for one moment here. Everyone listening, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check out carawayhome.com. Fantastic product line. Um Go, go through your kitchen cabinets and see what kind of crap you've had in there over the years and start to think about what am I cooking on? Is it safe for me? Is it safe for my family? And if you don't know, find out 
and make a change and uh, get some good stuff in there. Everyone, thank you for listening. Be sure to check out more at thepodcast.com. You can find other great episodes. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, please reach out to me, Adam at nhptalentgroup.com. I'd love to talk to you guys. Remember, take care of each other, look out for one another, and catch us next week for another great episode of The podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.